Hello, my name is Christopher Domitio, and this is A Very Good Novel, Coronavirus, Chapter 13, The Invisible Fleet. To hear the, uh, the chapters that came before this, or to read the entire novel, you can go to AVeryGoodNovel.com, and it's free. Okay, Chapter 13, The Invisible Fleet. There's not much that is more invisible than a postman. Like other delivery drivers, taxi drivers, and utility drivers, they can go anywhere and do anything. No one really pays attention to the invisible fleet as it moves around the country at will and does the essential work that keeps things going. During the pandemic, there was a lot of talk about essential workers, and it was no surprise to the USPS that people usually mentioned store clerks, healthcare workers, plumbers, cops, firemen, even beauticians, but they completely forgot about the Postal Service. Megan Brennan, the USPS Postmaster's Master General, didn't mind. In fact, she liked it. She was a tough-as-nails woman who had put her licks in over 33 years prior to moving into the executive leadership of the world's largest private logistics organization. The post office had been shadow banking for years and during that time had made some rather peculiar investments from the sidelines. The Postal Union was one of the largest private investors in Academy, which had formerly been known as Blackwater. It was a mercenary-for-hire security contractor. This gave Brennan unique access to a level of intelligence that was usually reserved for heads of state. The USPS was also a major investor in several other security contractors, such as Triple Canopy, Aegis Defense Services, Defion International, Andrews International, International Intelligence LTD, as well as Pinkerton, Brinks, ADT, Securitas, and Booz Allen Hamilton. All of these companies provided paid on-demand services to the private sector that that were equal to or better than those provided by their government counterparts. The USPS pension fund is gargantuan, especially since a 2006 law had required that it be funded 75 years in advance. Since that time, Brennan had been building a shadow fund that was heavily invested in private sector security contractors while building a public fund that was more traditional. While the traditional pension fund did what it was supposed to, the shadow fund bought influence, information, and favors. The USPS postal fleet of delivery vehicles consisted of mostly Grumman LLV, which stood for long-life vehicles, that people usually associate with the post office. Like mail carriers, people tended not to notice the LLVs, and when they did, they thought of them as odd, funny, quirky. But in truth, these were serious, heavy-duty vehicles, and Brennan had spent years working with engineers to develop a plan to turn them into military-grade vehicles. If there was an apocalyptic event, the postal service was prepared. Changing a mild-mannered LLV into a Mad Max vehicle wasn't the stretch you might think. The LLV was built on a Chevy S10 Blazer chassis and had a workhorse GM Iron Duke engine, an exceptionally tight turn radius, and low gearing that was made to haul cargoes of up to 1,000 pounds in any conditions in any grade. If one were to add light armor, gun points, and tire shields, they would be more efficient in a guerrilla war than the average Hummer. Of course, it wasn't an everything type of vehicle, so in 2015, Brennan had put out an RFP for new designs and then selected a number of private engineering firms to build the new fleet. By the time COVID-19 entered the picture, she'd selected two amphibious units, three motorcycle units, an autonomous big rig, and Tesla Cybertruck, which was slightly modified for postal use. The USPS didn't have a Navy or an Air Force, but when it came to to an Army, the ranks of the post office were filled with veterans who had done it all. And besides, what was the point of creating a private Air Force when you could just buy one? Actually, Brennan and the USPS had bought into two of them. Air USA, owned by Megan's friend Don Curlin, was the largest private fleet of fighter aircraft in the world. 
with everything from Russian MiG fighter craft to a fleet of state-of-the-technological art FA-4 Hornets that were acquired in the early 2020 from the Australian RAF, which was upgrading its entire Air Force. Her brother-in-law, Joe Ford, was the chief executive of another private air force, Draken International out of Lakeland, Florida. With over 70 tactical military aircraft, both Draken and Air USA were more than 40% owned by the Shadow USPS Pension Fund, which meant that Megan was the majority voice on both. The reason both companies existed was to engage with airborne adversary support for the U.S. Armed Forces. They played the bad guys in training exercises. It was called Joint Terminal Attack Controller, training known as JTAC for short. The USPS had always preferred to contract out to other companies with airplanes and had routinely been using passenger airlines to transport mail for decades. In fact, far from competing with UPS or FedEx, the USPS was actually their largest customer and the Shadow Pension Fund was a huge investor in both. One problem with the Shadow Fund was that the money had to be accounted for, which was the reason that the post office looked like such a huge bleeder when the books were examined. So as you can see, the USPS had an army and an air force, but as for a navy, Brennan's father had been a navy commander, and one thing he had always told her was that the navy was a leftover from an earlier age. In the event of a real conflict, logistics would need to be done by air, and ships would be sitting ducks to any enemy with advanced enough missile or air capability. She wasn't worried about not having a navy. Why was she doing it? Why was she building this invisible army and shadow military complex? The answer was simple. Brennan was a patriot. She'd always believed that the only thing that would save the United States from eventual tyranny was a well-armed militia. She wasn't some Second Amendment gun nut, though, but she did have a huge collection of firearms. No, government forces would always be able to outgun even the most heavily armed militia, because private citizens or groups who arm themselves to the level required for self-defense would immediately be identified as a threat and eliminated. It happened in Waco, Ruby Ridge, and Antelope, Oregon when the Rajneeshis began arming themselves. It happened in hundreds of other little enclaves that you've never heard about as well. No, the Second Amendment wouldn't save America, but the USPS might. Megan Brennan would be ready if her country needed her. Even more impressive than her armed postal service was the Postal Intelligence Service. Think about it. The post office knew everything. Mail carriers go everywhere, and everyone gets mail. The USPS had a larger fingerprint database than the FBI. In fact, they had the fingerprints of just about everyone in the FBI because everyone uses the post office, and no one thinks about leaving their fingerprints on a piece of mail. The intelligence section routinely read the mail of the most important people in the world, and they didn't have to do any cloak-and-dagger routine to get it because it was freely given to them. During a cash crunch in the 1980s, the post office had developed very lucrative contracts with drug cartels. Yes, sending drugs through the mail is illegal and the postal inspector finds you, heavy fines and jail time will result. But the postal inspector works for the post office. There were countless ways that the USPS was able to generate money for side products, projects. Hopefully by this time I've made my point. The United States Postal Service is a dangerous organization, and in the wrong hands it could easily topple governments. Bob's paranoia of the post office hadn't been misplaced. In fact, he was one of the few seeing the forest for the tree. By May Day, however, Bob was a fan. He'd been warmly embraced and welcomed by legions of postal workers, so many in fact that he'd repeatedly popped up in the radar of the Postal Intelligence Service. Megan had been advised that there were some strange activities happening online centered around a relatively unknown figure in California. Relatively unknown because Bob had stopped using his last name in 1980 when Ronald Reagan was elected. He didn't pay taxes. He paid his rent in cash to the woman who lived in the other half of the duplex he occupied. And since he was paranoid about the post office for decades, he'd routinely worn gloves when he did anything that had to do with the mail going out. 
You can imagine Megan's reaction when she was told that an unknown person was building an online online army. You can imagine Megan's reaction when she was told that an unknown person was building an online army composed mostly of USPS employees. She picked up her phone and buzzed her secretary. Richard, book me a flight to San Francisco and a meeting with Governor Newsom in Sacramento, she told him. Then to herself, let's see what's going on with this Bob character. Maybe we can use this. And that's it for chapter 13. Tune in next time for chapter 14 or find the whole thing at averygoodnovel.com. And don't forget to tell your friends. Aloha.